praise and worship the Lord. This is the day He's made. Uh, we're going to rejoice. We're going to make a decision to rejoice and be glad. David said, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. If you've had a bad week and you're on your way to heaven, so what? Amen. We gotta, sometimes we've got to remind ourselves that our reward's waiting on us on the other side. Thank God for what he did. We had a powerful move of the Holy Spirit Friday night in our marriage conference. It was really powerful what the Lord did on Friday night. So we're thankful for that. We got some good news, some other things to share with you. But right now, we want our focus to be on the Lord and, and give him the praise and worship he deserves. He said, here's what David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Amen. He did not say, I will bless the Lord when I feel like it. He did not say, I will bless the Lord when it's, everything's good. He did not say, I will bless the Lord if my checking account's full. He did not say, I will bless the Lord if I'm not sick. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, he said, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. So if that's going to be our lot, complaining and grumbling can't be in there. It's one or the other, right? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. What a good word. Amen. That's a good word. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him from most of his troubles. Y'all been reading your Bible, haven't you? It says he saved him from all his troubles. Listen to this. Now, we quote the front end of this and leave off the last. We need to do it all. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. What an awesome word. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. What a good word. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him some praise. He's worthy. church and you can crawl cross through the awning the rest of you may be seated and we'll turn some lights on in a minute <laughs> if you have your bibles we're going to use the book of jonah today and i'm going to describe something to you off my board here first uh, i'm going to explain the word compensatory to you and we're going to talk about that a little bit as we go into the book of Jonah. Compensatory, I was studying this from a, I, I use uh, the English language, of course, and then I studied it from a theological perspective. 
and came up with this definition, weighing one thing against another to give validity to what, what I desire. Of course, the root word of com, uh, compensatory is compensate. So a lot of times in our Christian lives, we will try to compensate things by, well, leaving this undone, we'll go do this to make up for leaving that undone. That's not how Christianity works. And one of the things that came out in this past weekend in the marriage retreat was looking at the verse in James that says, he that knows to do good and don't do it, to him it is sin. And looking at that from the perspective of your marriage and your spouse and your children. You know, because sometimes we can get lazy around the house and not do the things God's asked us to do, to pray for one another and to pray over one another. And so thinking about that verse in the context of your marriage and your family, he that knows to do good and don't do it, it is sin. And how do we, uh, we, have, we can all become uh, compensatory in different things, but even in that. Well, I've worked all day. You know, I've made money for the family today. And I know God's calling me to serve my wife, but I'm tired. Right. And so uh, becoming this way can be a good thing. Uh, we can justify what we do or what we don't do. And that's human nature. And that, that can happen to all of us. And I was thinking about this in the context, the positive way. The reason I become compensatory and maybe leave things undone is because I deserve it, right? I deserve it. I, I've worked hard or I've come to this spot in my life. And so I, I become compensatory toward myself. And I'm maybe leaving something undone or being indulgent in something because I've figured out a way to say that I deserve that. The other way is that it can be a negative thing. Moses said, hey, I can't do what you're asking me to do, God, because I can't talk. Right? Remember, yeah, that was his excuse. So whatever, we can use this. We weigh one thing against another uh, to give validity to what I desire to do or not to do. And that's human nature. But that's something we've got to overcome. We need to overcome that in our families. We need to overcome that in our service toward God. Whatever it is that God's asking you and I to do, we need to overcome that. Now, let's look at Jonah chapter 1. Let's go in verse 1 here. He says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, so if you study this, he's basically going the direct opposite way God's asked him to go. And in his mind, I guess, he's getting out of God's jurisdiction, right? Now, we all know that's not true. You don't, if you have any theologic, theological sense at all, you know there's nowhere to go that you can be out of God's presence. David wrote a psalm about that, right? He said, if I make my bed in hell, you're going to be there or the grave. If I'm in the depths of the sea, if I take the wings and fly. In other words, David's trying to express there's nowhere he can get away from God's presence. And if you belong to him, you can't get away from his goodness or his mercy anywhere. But in the same token, even if somebody's a sinner, they do not escape God's jurisdiction. He, he sees everything. He knows everything. He hears everything. Everything's under God's jurisdiction. So here's what happens to us. We, we don't necessarily speak these out, but we develop false beliefs. And here's how they come up. I want to read something to you that I jotted down here. How can you and I detect a false belief in our lives? Number one, we should look at how we live in private. I got one, hmm, and no amen. 
the the uh, one of the old timers that I really respect who uh, has been around the block uh, several times. I, he's the one that I borrowed the phrase from. He said, "I've been to two county fairs and three hog callings, and uh, and a stir off." Does anybody know what a stir off is? Molasses where they stir off. <laughs> So uh, he says, we have to learn to live our lives in the audience of one. Whether we're in town, out of town, or around town. And he tells a story. He says that he's at a grocery store, this particular minister. He's at a grocery store. And he pays for his groceries with cash, like all of us old-timers do. <laughs> and he walks out and gets in his car, and he realizes the girl's giving him too much change back. I think it was like $3. So he gets his receipt, goes back in, tells the young girl, she's a young girl, says, here, said, you gave me $3 too much, and showed her the ticket. And she was like, and you came back in for that? She said, most people would have never came back in for that. And he said, I'm not willing to mess up my relationship with God for three bucks. So we got to learn to how to live our lives in the audience of one. And uh, compensatory is a challenge for all of us, right? Even in a moment, right? Right in that moment, you come in, I've worked hard. I know my children need some attention from me, but... You know, and those decisions that we're having to deal with. The other thing you want to, if you want to check out false belief, do you live differently in private than you do in public? Right? Are you Archie Bunker? I just told my age, didn't I? Do you indulge in things in private that you know you shouldn't do? And if, if that is true, even though you and I know God sees everything, we are experimenting with an alternative theology that says there are some places God can't find us. And that's how you identify false beliefs. That we get in spots in our lives where we feel like there are places, even though we know theologically that God knows everything, sees everything, hears everything, we can deal with alternative theology and thinking we're experimenting there that, well, maybe God really don't care about this or maybe God don't really see this. So compensatory is kind of how Jonah starts off, right? Whatever his reasoning is, and we find it out later, his reasoning is he's pretty ticked off at these people because the way they treated uh, his people, right? And so you can, you know, the Bible tells us to love our enemies, right? And so you can say, well, they've been mean to my people and I don't really want to be good to them, right? And there's some level of compensatory action going on there. You're weighing out what they did versus what you think you didn't do and you make a decision based on that, right? Now, that's hard for a Christian to live that way. In fact, we're not supposed to live that way. In, in other words, if, if you've seen me do this before, um, we are called to be actors, not reactors, right? In other words, God calls me to act on his word no matter what the situation is. So if I stay in God's word, I'm predisposed to do that, right? He says if they send a harsh word, we send a soft answer, right? And my wife and I practice that because sometimes she comes in. Now, sometimes it's me, right? Uh, whatever. 
we both practice that, right? Because you can get heavy throughout the day, right? You can start picking up stuff, right? We, and, and you can bring those things that have nothing to do with each other into the moment, right? And so what we've tried to live and practice in our marriage is to be actors, act upon God's Word. If one of us comes in snappy, the other one can recognize that and send a soft answer back, right? And that's because here's what happens. If you wait for the moment to show up, you will react. But God has already given us his word so that we're predisposed to act a certain way. He tells us to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us. Well, if you wait until in that moment to make that decision, you're probably going to react. We've all done it, right? We all can react, whether it's our children or uh, uh, somebody we don't even know, just a stranger out in public, whatever. So that's why you want to stay filled up with God's Word so you can just not react to situations, but you're already predisposed to act in a certain manner whenever a situation comes up. Now, Jonah has decided that he can run from God, that he can go the other direction. He says he rose to flee there from the presence of the Lord, which is not possible. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them into Tarshish and from the presence of the Lord. This is not reality, but it's, it's made up, right? I cannot do that because my wife was mean to me yesterday. No. That's not how this works. You and I, we don't wait to see what other people are going to do. And that's how husbands and wives get sidetracked. Well, he wasn't doing that for me, so why should I? Somebody's got to be a Christian. Right? I mean, and Christians do what's right no matter if anybody else does. And that includes your family. That's a true believer. A true believer says, I do what's right no matter if everybody else goes to hell. In their actions. We don't want anybody to go to hell. I should have said it if everybody else acts like hell. But that, we, we are, that's what a true Christian, our first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And he tells me to love her like he loved the church. He doesn't say whether she's having a good day or not. And the same thing for a wife. Well, he did something stupid. That didn't matter. You're still called to respect him and cheer him on. And help him make it through the hard times. Because we all, we talked about this, is we all make bad decisions. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you make bad decisions. Go ahead and tell him. <laughs> You've been waiting to say that for a long time. You got permission from the preacher and you was able to say that. <laughs> uh, but if I, uh, help me reel this back in here, Lord. Uh, but so the Lord, now look who does this. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship was about to be broken up. Who done it? The Lord did it. And I love to say this. That's the one place that God still lets the world know who's in, in charge and is the weather. God controls the weather and there's not a thing we can do about it. If he decides to send the wind, we got to deal with it. If he decides to send two feet of snow, we got to deal with it. If he decides to flood an area out, that's just the way it's going to be. He controls all that and he uses it for his purposes, right? One of the lines that we heard yesterday before we left 
the conference was this, that God will not protect you from that which will perfect you. Boy, that hit all of us at the marriage conference. God will not protect you from that which will perfect you. In other words, the Bible says this about Christ. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. Well, if that's true of him, I got news for you. That's certainly true of us. We're going to learn that obedience through the things that we suffer from time to time because God is working on eternal creatures, right? And if you were going to live with you for eternity, what would you be doing to you? <laughs> right? God's looking down and saying, hey, we're going to have to... That's why I didn't get to go home last year when I collapsed in Texas. I, because God said, we're not ready for him. Leave him down there. We got more work to do on him. Right? So God left me here for a season. Maybe for you all and for me. Right? That's what Paul said. I got to stay around for you all too. But God knows everything. Isn't it so good to know that when you don't know what's going on, he does? That's beautiful. Amen. It's beautiful. That I've got confidence. I don't have to know everything God knows. I just need to know his nature. And his nature is this. He said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. He'd be with me to the end. His nature is not his will that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. His nature is to conform me into the image of his son. That's what God's doing in us. That's the good news of the gospel. So I don't have to worry about whether God's making the right decision for me. My only concern is whether I'll cooperate. And Jonah is not. He went the, he went the wrong way. So the, here comes God working in this. Then the mariners were afraid of every man cried out to his God. That's a little g. They, and, threw the cargo, uh, uh, and threw the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. He's running from God and he's taking a nap. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? What are you sleeping for? He said, Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us for what, whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So the guy that's in charge here is the one I'm serving. The Lord of hosts. Remember that from two weeks ago? Then the men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us, that the sea was growing more tempestuous? And he said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. So he's feeling the pressure, right? He tells them to throw him over. He's not willing to jump. <laughs> he, he wants them to toss him. I don't know if he can lay the blame on them or what. Uh, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. They didn't want to do it, right? Had a good heart about this. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with the innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Wow. Revival's happening on this boat. 
Now they're calling on the true God. You see what God does in troubled times? He's coming in there. It looks like everything's going to be bad, but he's just working his plan out of getting his man back on track and exposing these other guys who were originally worshiping false gods are now talking to him. Let me say a word to you. Your trouble may be as much for other people as it is for you. The Bible says God works all things together for the good of them. Not him. It's not, it's not singular. It's plural. In other words, when Joseph went down to Egypt and suffered all that stuff, it was for the good of them. Not only the Israelites, but even the Egyptians. The Bible says in, that in the Psalms that many of the Egyptians believed. That's why if you read it, I come across this about 20 years ago, where Egypt's going to return to the Lord in the last days. And I'm thinking, What? How's that possible? Islam, the, and then you read, but listen, nobody in the history of their nation has seen the power of God more than Egypt. And all that, they, they, they know who Enoch was. They call him the holy man. That's who they called Enoch down in Egypt, in that region. They know all this. It's in their history. And God's going to open their eyes and Egypt's going to come back to God. It's an amazing story. But when I thought about it, I thought, how can this be? How can they return out of all the Islamic groups that are led astray? How will they return? Then I started, I thought, they know about the Red Sea. They know about the power of God. They know all the things God. They know all this in their history. And you start reading the history of some of these things. And you, as we're studying the book of Job, these guys, they all knew about the flood. They were talking about it in Job. This, we act like those people were all dummies. They handed stuff down like we do. They knew what God had done. They knew what had happened in the earth. And so Egypt is just blinded like Israel from a different angle, right? They're blinded from a different angle. But God can open their eyes. And once he opened their eyes, they say, oh, I remember who built that great pyramid. I remember the sea being part. I remember when it got, we, we remember all the history of our land. And God can turn them back. So he do, here, and these guys are turning to God, just like many of the Egyptians. The Bible said that they gave Israelites a lot of their silver and gold and their jewels as they went out of the country. And he said, they didn't want to throw him over and they asked for forgiveness. They said, they didn't want to be responsible for innocent blood. Look how much innocent blood this world's shedding. We don't think a thing about it. These guys were so concerned about that. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, <laughs> threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So again, we see beautiful pictures of God's grace, right? One man suffers so the others can go free. Throw him into the sea. Now look, it says, now the Lord, here's God at work again, had prepared a great fish. To swallow Jonah. Now let me, let me show you this. It didn't just so happen that Jonah's going the wrong way. And it just so happened that they threw him out in the right spot. And it just so happened that a big fish big enough to swallow a man was coming through. And it just so happened that he swallowed him up and did not eat him for lunch. And it just so happened that he was swimming the right direction. And it just so happened that he spit him out on the shores of Nineveh. And it just so happened... None of that just so happened. God had already been around the corner before anybody showed up. He orchestrated this. Again, it shows us who's in charge, right? God spoke through the donkey to Balaam, right? God has used, he, he's, he's in control of everything. The Bible says even nature's groaning for redemption. And so God is in charge of everything. And so he wants us to follow his plan. 
And don't start reasoning through things of what you think ought to happen or what you and I deserve and get compensatory on God. Just, just be actors upon his word and let it start inside your home. Let it work out into your community, your circle of influence, on your job, wherever you're at, in your uh, church, in your community. Be that person that says, I'm going to do it God's way. That's what God's looking for in these last days. Somebody who will do things his way. Somebody that will share the gospel. Somebody that will live the gospel. Somebody that will follow his plan. So there, the, the Lord prepared this great fish. Well, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, which was a prophetic thing that Jesus used in the New Testament. See how much of this God's just using as part of his plan and who he is. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, listen to what he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. And out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. He thought he was going to die. Jonah thought he was going to die. He thought that God wasn't going to show mercy. He probably thought the fish was going to eat him. But he, he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. Right? That's, that's a reference to that psalm where it says, Deep calls unto deep. Now that psalm's been butchered but because we miss seeing it and miss teaching and everything. But basically the psalmist, when he's writing that, he's using the same kind of attitude that Jonah's got here. He said, the psalmist is saying, I'm on the seashore and the deep goes out and calls for another way. If you stood on the shore of a sea or Lake Michigan or something like that, that's what the waves do. They go out and they call for another wave. And the psalmist is basically saying, I can't get dried off or cleaned up before one wave goes out and calls for another one and it just keeps hitting me. I just keep getting the billows going over me. And that's what Jonah's referencing here. He's talking in the same way. He says, your billows and your waves have passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yes, I looked again toward your holy temple and the water surrounded me even to my soul, right? And that's what the psalm said, man, I'm out here getting beat up with the waves. I can't get away from the waves. Then deep closed around me and weeds were wrapped. Have you noticed, have you ever been around a big body of water like at the ocean and you watch that person that's getting too far out there? The waves were fine until they got too far out. And then they, they had to get rescued. And some people don't get rescued. Because they got out where the deep was surrounding them. It was fun standing where you're knee deep or waist deep. And the waves just hit you for a moment. And then all of a sudden you drift too far. And he said, I'm out there surrounding me. The deep clothes around me, they were wrapped around my head. I went down the moorings in the mountains. The earth was its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. So he's taking this physical journeys on and applying it to a spiritual sin. That's what you and I have to do. First that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. Take that journey. Now he's surrounded. Who knows what Jonah's thinking at this point. He didn't get any uh, preordained uh, news from God. He's, he's gone over, thinks he's dead. Gets swallowed by a fish, thinks he's dead. Goes deeper. That's what he's talking about here. Who knows what's going through his brain at this point other than I'm dead. Right? I'm dead. I, I read a story years ago. I can't remember if it was in the Reader's Digest. Or, the, um, or uh, some column. It's been years. But they were building a dam out west somewhere. I forget which dam it was. And there was a guy who was on top of where they were working. And he fell off the dam. 
headed toward his death. And have you ever seen them work on around the mines or places where they got these cranes with baskets of men in the basket actually working on things? And some guy called him and pulled him into that basket. It's an amazing story. This, the reason this article had been published is because this guy was looking for the guy who rescued him. Now, what do you think that guy was thinking when he fell off the dam? I'm dead. It's over. Life's over. He, however, fall, however far he was going to fall, and somebody catches him. And now, it takes a, a, a pretty strong person to do that. But they catch him and pull him into safety. And what he found out was, when he got searching, the guy who called him hired in the job that morning and never came back another day. Worked one day. The Bible says, beware lest you entertain angels. God sent somebody to that job, maybe an angel. It seems to me like an angel would probably be the only one that could actually do a task like that. You think about their plight. You know, you think you're through, you're finished, and God says, what do you think Joseph thought? That probably went through his mind, sitting in a prison. <clears throat> and so he, he says, I've... Uh, the waves are passed over me. I'm down and out. Everything's gone. He said, yeah, you brought me up, my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you and to your holy temple. Those who regard worthless, worthless idols forsake their own mercy. So if you, listen, if you don't serve the true and living God, which is in his son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, if you don't serve them, the Father, Son, the Spirit. If we don't serve the only true and living God, you don't have mercy anywhere else. That's why when you get into Hebrews and people read some of those verses over there and they think, oh, I've sinned, I can't repent. you got to understand why Hebrews is written. When you read some of those verses, he's talking to people who are leaving Christ and trying to have another means of redemption. So when he makes a statement like, there remains no more forgiveness or repentance for sin he's not talking about God won't forgive you he's talking about if you leave Christ and say I'm going to serve the law or I'm going to get my forgiveness from Mohammed or Buddha or Confucius or uh, whoever else he, Paul but Paul's basically or the Holy Spirit saying there is no forgiveness over there you can't get it over there he wasn't saying that God don't forgive us that would be contrary to what John said John said if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness somebody give God praise for that that ought to make you happier than anything that makes me happier than anything. It makes me happier than any possession I have. It makes me happier than any ministry God uses me in. The fact that he will forgive me of my sins. That's the greatest news on earth. But what Paul's trying to stress, because Hebrews is used because you got these three groups of people. you got these people that stayed under the law, wouldn't follow Christ. you got these people that became followers of Christ. And then you got these people that are riding the fence. They're trying to please both sides. That, hey, I'm going to be with Jesus some, and I'm going to try to live under the law some. And Paul's saying, hey, Moses was a good guy, but he ain't Jesus. Abraham was a great guy, but he ain't Jesus. He said, there's one greater here. And so basically what Paul's trying to get across here is not that you can't be forgiven through Christ, that's, that's, that's a violation of Scripture. But he's saying, if you come over here and say, I'm going to serve Mohammed, or I'm going to serve Buddha, or I'm going to be uh, follow Joseph Smith, or whatever, all these false religions, he said, there's no forgiveness over there. 
There's no redemption over there. That's what Paul's trying to get across. Not that you and I can't be forgiven for our sins. And so Joe, Jonah is talking about this. He said, he said I will, uh, he says, you're, you're, you're awesome. You brought me from the pit. My heart fainted. I remember the Lord. Your prayer went up to you in your holy temple. So see, these guys understand. They understand things like Moses did, right? Moses made the tabernacle according to the pattern of the one in heaven. They know these things. These people aren't dummies. You remember when Martha said, Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again? She said, I know, the New Testament hadn't been written now. She said, I know that my brother will rise in the last day. Good theology. These people weren't dummies. They knew God. God, God hadn't been hiding himself. That's why Adam and Eve were probably writing and, and things before anybody was. God's not a dummy. He wasn't talking to Adam and Adam saying, what are you saying? I can't understand what you're saying. Language existed with Adam and Eve. And we just, I, I, I'm not surprised anymore how much credit men try to steal from God. Makes me sick. Makes me upset. I said, how would you like to be God and create everything and get credit for nothing? So Jonah says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. So if you're, if you're somewhere other than Christ, you're not going to find mercy. You're going to find uh, struggles and, and slavery. And he says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So Jonah got his heart right with God. God spit him out exactly where he was supposed to go. Now the word of the Lord came to John the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three-day journey in extent. In other words, it was three days for him to get around to the whole city. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he's given them the word. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast. That's the key, right? And put on sackcloth from the greatest of the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king that these nobles saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, Fifi or Max or anybody. Everybody's fasting. Dog, hamster, cat. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands, in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? That's what God's after. That's what God's after. He's after us to turn and do it his way. And, and why would he do that? Because it's for us. He's going to be God. He's going to be around whether we do the right thing or not. But God's doing that for us because he knows sin. What are the wages of sin? Death. He knows that. And so he wants the world. He wants you and I. He wants people to turn away from sin. That's, that's all God's after. God's not trying to uh, make himself look better. He's God whether we show up or not. We got to make sure we understand that everything that we're seeing has been done for us. God was eternal before we showed up. 
And God is continually reaching out to us. He said, they said, hey, he may forgive us, basically. Then God, now notice this. This is something I read in the Jewish context. It said, God saw their works. The Jewish people said he, did, he didn't say anything about their fasting and sackcloth. He saw what they'd done. They changed. Now, here's what happened. And I've shared this with you before. When the Bible was translated from Greek and Hebrew to Latin, which is the most common for years, right? The Latins did something with the word repent that focused more on the emotion than the deed. But the Greek word for repentance will not allow you to have repentance without a change in action. So what the Latins did, maybe by mistake, their word lends itself to an emotional movement and not an actual. But the Greek word basically means if I'm going to repent, I'm walking this way and now I'm going to go this way. It doesn't allow you, just like, if, and this, you'll understand this because this will make it plain because I harp on this. Pisteo. The Greek word that undergirds all believing and faith in the New Testament, same thing in the Old Testament with Hasan Batak, are verbs. Verbs require action, right? So when you go over to James, he says, faith without works is dead, right? In other words, and this, let me show you my faith by my works, right? It'll be expressed in that. So the same thing for repentance, the same kind of word. It does not allow us, right? And something else about pisteo, pisteo don't allow middle ground. Pistas. You're either moving forward or moving backward. You're not standing still. It doesn't allow for that. So if I'm not moving forward in my faith, what am I doing? I'm going back in it. Like a backsliding heifer is what the Old Testament calls it. And so, the same thing with repentance. Repentance, it was focused in the Latins. They focused it more on emotion, right? And then you got into all kinds of corruption, right? You could go, and that's, this has been brought back in certain circles. I, read, I wrote an article on it several years ago about this. And I actually, I, I republished it in one of our newsletters about confessing your faults. To one another, if you remember that newsletter a few months ago. This, this sign or this moment that they can confess so it got so corrupt that you could go pay for your sins ahead of time. You could say, well, I'm going to do such and such this weekend, so I'm going to go and, and pay for my sins ahead of time. And so all that kind of got messed up. But true repentance from God's perspective means that I'm going this way and I'm going to turn and go this way. That's what repentance means. So I ask you, because I know where this broadcast goes around the world, and in these states and in this building this morning, have you repented? Have you really turned from your way to follow Jesus Christ? Or have you been compensatory and said, I'll give God this much of me, but I'm keeping this much. Now, let me tell you, the culture will inundate you with ways to be compensatory. They will. They'll inundate you with that. They'll tell you things like, live your own truth. There's no such thing. You don't get to live your own truth. Neither do I. This is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Amen.
you will find ways, right? And, and I, we all wrestle with it, right? You get home, <clears throat> your family needs something out of you, but you're wore out. You know you need to do that for your family. You know it's the right thing to do. And that's on a smaller scale, right? What about Moses? God said, I want you to go bring my people out. And said, I can't talk. <laughs> He's trying to figure out a way to get out of it, wasn't he? This is like Jonah tried to get out of it. But Jonah repents. Now let me take you to Psalm 34 real quickly before we close. And Psalm 34 is where I read before we went in our praise and worship. And I'm going to go down a few verses in Psalm 34. <clears throat> Uh, verse 17. Here's what he says. This same kind of language we just saw Jonah use. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you, and the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong psalm, am I? But that's good. Let me keep reading it. Maybe the Lord pulled one on me there. You shall hide. I'm staying right here. I'm in Psalm uh, 31, by the way. <laughs> Verse 20. <laughs> from the plots of man, you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me marvelous kindness in a strong city. Wow. This wasn't in my notes. <laughs> That's exactly where Jonah was at. He was given great kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from your eyes, from before your eyes. That's probably what Jonah was thinking, wasn't it? Thank you, Lord. You can preach better than I can. <laughs> Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. I feel the Lord here this morning. This was not in my repertoire. Oh, I love you, Lord. All you, his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. What a word for us. Amen. Well, you're familiar with that other psalm that I was going to read from, but I feel like that's the Lord wanted that said. Uh, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. Yom Kippur starts this evening. Last year's when I had my surgery on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur means total deliverance. I'm celebrating my time with God on Yom Kippur. I'm using the lunar calendar instead of the... From now on, my day is Yom Kippur when God's total deliverance came to me. And what he's been doing in my life since then, I am so excited about. I'm so thankful. And I'm... What happened to me last Yom Kippur was God's gift to me. I'm thankful. I was, I've been reading about, and they use adjectives that I wouldn't use, but I've been reading about guys who say they've formed a group and they said, we want to go from being good preachers to great preachers. 
And that's probably not the adjectives I would have chosen. But what they've been doing to help each other move in that direction is fantastic. It's just fantastic. I've been reading these guys who said their desire shifted from just being good and getting the job done. This is how I would have said it. To being all they could be in Christ. And they talked about how it's easy for us to be compensatory and have 30 rooms in our house. Now listen. And give God 27 of them and keep three for ourselves. God wants all of you and me. And what he can do with all of us when he gets all of me and you will be far greater than what you would ever get done. Or me. Let's stand our feet. So we come to the end of the days of all. We've been talking about Teshuva. That was Teshuva. I read to you there in Jonah when it said God saw their works. So these people didn't just fast and pray, but they turned from doing wrong and started doing right. That's our call. That's our cost. Not good enough just to be sorry for doing wrong or sorry for leaving something undone. That's not repentance. Repentance is, that's why Jonah said, I'm going to pay my vows. Maybe you vowed something to God 15 years ago and you've let it go. Come back to it. Come back to it. Honor what you've brought before the Lord. Do what he's asked you to do. That's what it means to do teshuva. This is the last day starting this afternoon, for that season for them. So be specific. Get your act together. Turn from something or embrace something that God's asked you to do. And let's become those people that God can use. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this moment. And if there's people in this building that haven't repented, Lord, help them not to feel estranged or feel put on the spot because I have to repent all the leaders in this church have to repent. Everybody has to repent. There's none of us that don't have to repent, Lord. Help people not to feel awkward about stepping out of their seat and coming into this altar and just asking you to make things right. I have to do it. My family has to do it. My people have to do it. We all, Lord forgiveness, repentance that leads to forgiveness is the greatest thing in the earth. There's nothing any greater than that. Help us not to be to shy away from it, but to embrace it. If you're here this morning and you need to repent and do some things with you and the Lord, maybe you've never followed Christ. Maybe you're listening to me and watching or you're going to get this podcast this week you've never followed Christ we're running out of time we're coming to the end of the age but here's what we know and I know firsthand none of us have the promise of tomorrow today is the day of salvation if you're hearing his voice do not harden your heart if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you step out of your seat find you a place in your living room or wherever you're watching right now or in, the, in this podcast, find you a place to kneel and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. 
and ask Jesus to come into your heart and make him the Lord of your life and turn and start following him and read his word and start applying that to your lives. Maybe you're the prodigal. Maybe you walk with God closely, but you've drifted and you find yourself out there being compensatory. You're just justifying things that you know can't be justified. And you know your theology's gotten a little screwed up because you, you think maybe God's not watching or noticing. But He's there. And He's there to redeem. Not there to judge. Not there to destroy. But there to redeem. If you're here and you're a prodigal or you're watching, find you a place to return to the Lord as we worship Him. This altar's open.